Welcome to The Logbook. I'm your host, Lucas Weekly. This episode is supported by you, the listeners, through Patreon. Head over to thelogbookpodcast.com for more information. This time we listened to a few training stories from a pilot who wanted to prepare for emergency landings and then ended up in that situation herself. Along about 2006, my husband decided to buy a little airplane, and he bought a Legend Cub, and it was on floats because we were living in a house on a lake at the time. And he would fly around in the afternoon before supper or whenever, and I didn't have much interest in it, to be honest, but he seemed to enjoy it, so that was okay, and I'm happy when he's happy. But one day I was flying along with him and he said to me, you know, I'm getting a little older and it might be a good idea if you would go and learn to land the airplane because it would really be a shame if something happened to me to ruin a perfectly good airplane. And I thought about that and thought, you know, that's just not a real bad idea at all. Of course, the little airplane was on floats, straight floats, no wheels at all, and so we had to land and take off on the water exclusively. Well, I did decide that I would go ahead and learn to fly. After several months, we started to look for a suitable place for me to do that, and we found a flight school in Winter Haven, tail wheels. They were great, and I went there to learn to fly. They've since moved over to the Lakeland Airport. And they have an accelerated program, but I decided that I was a little bit too old to do that. I just didn't think I had the physical or mental stamina to be able to fly every day and learn to fly quickly. I was 61 years old at the time. I don't recommend that anybody wait that old to learn to fly. You're much better off to learn to fly as young as you can, just as soon as you can. Take your lessons, learn to fly. You have a lot more lifetime to learn how to handle situations, to get lots of experience, to enjoy flying. It's one of the best things you can ever do, but I encourage everybody to go ahead and take your lessons, bite the bullet, save your money, do whatever you've got to do, but get your pilot's license as early in your life as you can so that you have years of time to do it. My husband, Pete, learned to fly when he was young. He had lots of time to fly. For about 10 years or so, I guess, we didn't have an airplane and um, he didn't fly at all, but then later we got back into it. So uh, it's, it's never too soon to learn to fly, and really never too late, I suppose. In her 13th hour of training, our storyteller encountered an incident that she and her flight instructor had not anticipated. 13, the number 13, has always been lucky for me, and even though this might seem not lucky, it really was in the end. I was doing power-off stalls with my instructor. All of a sudden, the propeller stopped. It came to a dead standstill right before our eyes. No engine sputtering, no shaking, no forewarning, no nothing. 
But what had happened, of course, is we had accumulated some carburetor ice because we were flying a Cessna 150 and had not turned on the carb heat. Now, this was clearly a mistake on our part, but it was a nice warm day in Florida, and we just didn't think for any reason that we would develop any carburetor ice, but we did. So that, my advice, is always turn that carb heat on, whether you think you're going to get any any icing or not. But at any rate, the propeller had stopped completely right before our eyes, and we began to look for a place to land. We found a suitable place to land and put the airplane down in a farmer's field. All was well. We were not hurt. The airplane was not hurt. We followed the emergency uh, procedures. Uh, We hadn't practiced too many of those together because it was still pretty early in my flight training, but we had done some. So we were able to get the airplane on the ground. We were able to communicate to the flight school that we were going to do that and exactly where we were going to be when we put the airplane uh, in the pasture. Well, the pasture was full of cows, and and cows leave behind little meadow muffins, so we had lots of debris on the airplane, but it was pretty unpleasant. But that was the only real downside of the whole thing. (laughs) We, We were not hurt in any way, but of course... Uh, As we started to walk out of the field, we realized that there was a bull over in one corner of the field, and he started just kind of slowly walking toward us, and that made us a little bit nervous. Actually, we were more nervous about the bull than we had been about the airplane landing, because when we started to look for a place to land, we realized that In our mind, everything had started to move in slow motion. We were calm. We weren't upset about it at all. We just did exactly what we were supposed to do. And I can remember my instructor saying to me, fly the plane, just fly the plane. And so that's what we did. We just flew the plane and we communicated as we needed to. And we got on the ground, and of course, by that time, somebody else had heard the call, and the sheriff's department came and so forth, but they ultimately didn't do anything. Um, One of the deputies noticed that I had some blood trickling down from one of my fingers and asked me how that had happened, and I didn't remember hurting myself at all during the incident, but... um, Apparently, when I was climbing the barbed wire fence to get away from the bull, I scratched my finger on the fence. But I said that was a good thing, and it really was, because after that, I wasn't the least bit concerned about an engine out off airport landing. Uh, Airplanes do exactly what they're supposed to do when the pilot continues to fly them like they're supposed to do. So there's really nothing to worry about when that happens. An airplane without a motor is just a glider. 
and there are lots of glider pilots around. I've never flown a glider. I've ridden in one, but from what I understand, you can get a pilot, you can get a glider pilot's license a lot sooner with a lot less uh, training than you can a regular private pilot's license. So, therefore, it must be easier, right? Well, that's my thinking, and so that's uh, how I view that. It's just a glider. Well, I was going to say that when she put that airplane in the pasture. That's our storyteller's husband, Pete. Uh, I had been already flying for 30 years or so, and I'd never had a problem like that. So I started asking other friends of mine uh, how many times they had ever had to put one in a pasture. And, and I kept asking more and more experienced pilots until I got to one that had the most time that I know of yet. And he's got... 50,000 hours or more. And I said, and I knew he had to be in the pasture somewhere. And I said, how many times have you had to put an airplane on the ground dead stick? And he said, never have. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it's a unusual thing. They keep teaching you how to do it when you learn to fly. Uh, and they, you practice, this is what you do if it ever quits, but they really don't quit very often. So there's living proof. And really, it was a great experience because it took that element of anxiety completely out of my being. I have absolutely no concern now about that ever happening again. There's lots of flat places in Florida. Florida's a great place to fly because there are lots of places to land off-site. But I think you could do it anywhere if you just remain calm and and stick to all the emergency procedures that you learn. And and that's what most of your flight training is about, is learning to fly in an emergency situation. Because just going out and flying, there's really not a whole lot to that. But when you have an emergency, you need to know what to do. So my flight training continued for a while, and I was lucky enough that... uh, During the time when I was taking my lessons, we went out to Colorado for a summer, and I was able to do some mountain flying out there, and that was very exciting, and uh, my instructor and my husband and I flew to Leadville one day, which is the highest aviation, it's the highest airport in North America. And that was a very exciting adventure, too. It took us a lot of time to get up high enough to go. But when you take off at about 7,000 feet, then it's not a whole lot higher uh, to get to Leadville, at least above ground level. And uh, we had a great experience that day. It's something that I'll never, ever forget. And I have a T-shirt that I proudly wear that talks about going to Leadville, and I'm really, really happy to have had that experience. So we come back to Florida, and it's finally time for me to take my check ride with the Federal Aviation Examiner. And uh, he was a very nice man. I thoroughly enjoyed flying with him, and, and my check ride was a great experience. I learned lots of things on my check ride. But On that particular day, I had switched to flying a 172 later in my training, uh, just because it was a little bit bigger, more comfortable airplane. And um, I went out to uh, the airplane on the morning of my check ride, and I was doing my pre-flight 
inspection of the aircraft. And as I drained one of the sumps... Which are small ports at the lowest part of the fuel tanks, usually under the wings, that allow you to check if any water has gotten into and settled to the bottom of the tanks. The gas wouldn't stop coming out. The little thing got stuck and the gas was just pouring out of the wing. So I had to go back into the... uh, uh, the FBO and get the mechanic to come out and help me fix it. And then we had to make sure that the fuel was right and so on and so forth. That put me a little behind schedule. So I was going to be a few minutes late to get to my, uh, my flight examiner. And I really didn't have far to go. I was only going to taxi from the FBO at Winter Haven over to the seaplane base, which is right on the same airport, and pick up the flight examiner at the seaplane base. So very carefully, everybody at the flight school had told me to be very careful. There was going to be a big dumpster on the left and a big oak tree on the right as I entered the place for the um, for the sea, at the seaplane base. So I was being very careful to watch all those things. And I go through the gate and down a little incline, very slight, and all of a sudden the plane comes to a stop. Well, I wasn't too concerned about that because I had seen a big pile of sand there in the airport, and I thought, well, my front wheel's gotten caught in this sand. So I got out of the airplane, and uh, the people there, the the flight instructors at the at the uh, seaplane base came out to greet me, and they knew I was there for my check ride. So everybody was real happy to see me, and I went in, and we did my ground school. And they said, don't worry about it. We'll turn your plane around for you. I told them I had believed I had gotten stuck in the sand. They said, don't worry. We'll turn your plane around for you and get you all ready to go while you're inside with the examiner. So sure enough, they'd done all that when... Uh, we came out, but as I came out uh, with the examiner, one of the instructors says uh, to me, there's a little dent in this wing. And uh, they said, the airplane is still airworthy. It's not hurt bad, but there's a dent here. And uh, you just need to make the people at the flight school over there aware of that so that... um, they can fix it or check it when you get back. But So the examiner says, yeah, that'll be all right. We'll go ahead and go. So we went, did my check ride. It was just wonderful. I got lots of compliments from the examiner, told me I did a really good job and all that sort of thing. But what I discovered when we, when I dropped him off at the flight school and I taxied back over to the FBO, just celebrating to myself all the way of goody, goody, I've passed, I've passed. I got there, and my husband's waiting for me on the ramp, and he says to me, well, I hear you hit the stop sign. Well, unbeknownst to me, there was a stop sign at a road that was coming in from another direction to the flight school. So here I had knocked their their stop sign down, or at least over on its side. And the stop sign, by the way, was really hard to see. Like she said, it was for the street coming in, so it was sideways. Now, it's pretty hard to see a stop sign when it's only a 
sixteenth of an inch wide. <laughs> yeah, it was it was turned sideways, so I didn't have a good view. But of everybody it. on the airport knew she had hit the stop sign except her and her examiner. They didn't tell him either that she had hit the stop sign. <laughs> yeah. They didn't want to make me nervous before my exam. And there was lots of laughter about that. You know, people said I had really had a, quite an experience. I'd learned to fly. I'd put the airplane in the cow pasture. I hit the stop sign. I mean, how many people do that kind of crazy stuff when they're learning to fly? But I guess when you're an older student, you're inclined to do things like that. I don't know. But I'll tell you, flying was one of the, that was one of the happiest times of my life. It really was. There were lots of old World War II pilots that used to congregate on the porch at the old FBO in, in Winter Haven, and they would talk about flying. And I remember one delightful man, I'll remember him all of my life, but no matter how many times I bounced the airplane on my landings coming in and that sort of thing, he would tell me, he said, honey, you just keep flying because one of these days you're going to be a great pilot. So that took me a, a long time, but that was very encouraging, and, and he never he never let me down. He kept telling me I was going to be good at it one of these days. <laughs> he passed away. He was such a sweet man. You get kind of emotional about older pilots because when you realize that you get to learn to fly today and how wonderful the technology is we have gps's and all kinds of conveniences in our airplanes and these guys learn to fly when there was nothing nothing to help them on their way, and um, and the instruments were just not there, and um, and they couldn't go up high and get out of the weather, and they just bounced along under the clouds. <laughs> you really do have to. You just have such an. I just have such an appreciation for aviators that went before us that paved the way so that we can have the great flying experiences that we do now. And I'll tell you some things that I believe about aviation. Aviation is good for you. Uh, and this is another reason to learn to fly early. It's good for your health. It's good for your physical health because it encourages you to stay in shape and maintain your good health throughout your life, you have to, because you have to pass a medical examination. And until you're 40, that's once every, what, four years or so. But after you're 40, it's every two years. And then later in your life, it can even be more often than that. But if you're flying commercially or professionally, so you do, it encourages you to lead a healthy lifestyle. And mentally, it's good for your mental health because it's great brain exercise. I mean, keeping up with all the new things, all the new rules, uh, 
being able to plan your flights and that sort of thing. It's just good, good brain exercise. And emotionally, it's so wonderful for you because the aviation community is such a close-knit group of friends, so much camaraderie, so much good support. Uh, it's just wonderful. And, of course, laughter's the best medicine, they tell you. And let me tell you, pilots love to tell funny stories. They're unending. And the more every pilot's got a story. And you just enjoy laughing and having a good time with your pilots. And living in an airport community as we do is absolutely the best place that a pilot can live. Convenience. Our airplanes are right here with us in our hangar at our house. So we're able to fly a lot more often. We just go out and decide, well, we're going to go to lunch. Let's go have lunch. We're going to have breakfast. We're going to fly around a little bit before supper. We're going to stay current with our night flying because we can do that easily. Airplanes are better maintained, I believe, because they're here right with us. We can do a little bit every day. You don't have to do it all at once. You can constantly be checking things out. You see if there's a little oil drip on the floor of your hangar. Uh, you know where your gas is and where it comes from. We have our gas delivered here to the house, so we're able to do that. Um, our uh, our A&P is right here on the field. He's a wonderful man and very meticulous, so we personally know the people that are working on the airplanes and doing the things that we can't do. And, of course, spare parts are more readily available. You know, uh, people don't throw away airplane parts when they take them off an airplane and do something a little bit different. So just the other day, one of our neighbors needed a little spinner, and we happened to have one from a plane that we used to own and that we had taken off when we put a new propeller on that airplane. So we were able to contribute that spinner to someone that needed it, and People have done that for us, too, so it's just a, a wonderful place to live. And, of course, the transportation issue. If you've got to take your airplane to another airport for maintenance or service or whatever, you can always get a buddy to fly with you and pick you up and bring you back home. It's just a wonderful thing. And then, of course, we have lots of fly-ins and lots of hangar flying, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful place to live. So those are my recommendations. Learn to fly as soon as you can. Spend the money. Take the time. Go do it. You will never be sorry. That's my only regret is that I waited until I was, I was 62 by the time I got my pilot's license. And um, that was seven years ago. And really, I, if I could have done it a lot sooner, I would have. But I just didn't, I didn't have any reason to think I could ever do such a thing. But I don't regret one day that I ever did it. It's fabulous and I love it. Barbara Putnam lives at Love's Landing and helps organize many of the events in the flying community. 
She also helps run the Florida Aero Club, which you can find more information about by going to floridaeroclub.org. Barbara's own airplane is a Piper Warrior II named Cholina, who was a Native American war princess, and Barbara wanted a name that goes along with Piper's theme. You can check out pictures of Barbara and her airplane, as well as more information by going to the article at thelogbookpodcast.com. Also, special thanks goes out to the Airplane Geeks podcast for mentioning the logbook in their latest episode, number 362. This episode was supported directly by your donations. If you enjoy the show, you can support its production by becoming a patron. Through Patreon, you set a donation level that is given every time a new episode is released, and you can always set a monthly limit so you don't go over your budget. Depending on the amount donated, you are granted access to different rewards that are as simple as hearing a sneak preview to the next episode, all the way up to exclusive content that didn't make it into the show. Any amount is helpful, and the more that's donated, the more the show can improve. Head over to our website, thelogbookpodcast.com, and click on the Patreon banner at the side of the page to start supporting. Also, don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps bring awareness to the logbook. If you have a story about anything in aviation, we would love to hear it, and it may even become an episode of the logbook. You can send us an email by using the contact page on our website. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you come back for the next entry in the logbook. <laughs>